This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church, and happy Easter to all of you that, have, uh, that are joining with us online. We're just looking at all the numbers. When you add up all the different places we're broadcast, there's thousands of people that are joining with us right now. And a lot from all over the world. We're glad that you've joined with us. Uh, as we celebrate Easter Sunday morning, really enjoyed our worship team this morning. Some people have asked online, when do, when do you guys pre-record that music? It's not pre-recorded. Everything you just saw is live. We do these services live every Sunday morning. This is our regular team. Some were uh, comments I saw were concerned that they weren't exactly six feet apart. You know, number one, don't be so anal. Number two, they're farther than six feet apart. We have a big stage, so everything's fine. So don't worry, we're all, everything's under control and try not to be the six feet police. Anyway, uh, we want you to recite together with us the Apostles' Creed this morning. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe here at Celebration Church. This is a, uh, the oldest Christian creed that goes back thousands of years. One of the earliest records uh, in the Christian church was of this creed that people would recite uh, before they were baptized, and then eventually became part of regular Christian liturgy after that. But let's say this together. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Again, good to have you with us. Uh, my audience has doubled today. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, it's, it's just uh, Becky is here uh, and my wife, Deanna, joined this morning. So I have two. Woo! -hoo! We're doubling, baby. How many churches can say they're doubling every service? And uh, so we're excited about that. Um, before we uh, go on with the service and into the message this morning, uh, Kirsty Gunger, my uh, daughter-in-law, whom you just saw on the uh, announcements, has uh, put together a little video of some of the girls in our church doing a celebratory dance for this Easter Sunday morning. And I don't know who's pushing buttons right now. We're a very low uh, understaffed group here this morning. I don't know if you can pop this up so we can see it in the room here would be nice.
All righty then, very cute. I saw just a little piece of it on Deanna's phone as she was showing it to me here. Uh, we're understaffed in the room and we couldn't see it in here, but uh, I'll watch it later on Facebook on the playback. So thank you girls for doing that and Kirsty for putting that together this morning as we're celebrating. I have to admit when I first popped open my eyes this morning, I felt a, a bit of sadness uh, that uh, here it is, Easter Sunday morning, and we're not able to gather together as believers. And it is kind of sad. Uh, but, you know, this is temporary. This too shall pass. Uh, the church has seen much worse times than <laughs> being quarantined for, you know, a month and a half or whatever. So th this will be nothing. I uh, truly believe and sense it already that the church is getting stronger. I know ours is, and people are connecting and being faithful in their giving and stuff. And actually, we're going to actually pause for a second to give you an opportunity to give this morning uh, that you can do online. Those of you who are watching on the Celebration Church uh, app or on our Celebration Church website, we'll see a button to give. You can push that button to give or you can text uh, on your phone to 77977. That's it, 97. So you go to your little texting thing you're going to send it to this address, this number, 77977, and then put in CCWI, which stands for Celebration Church, Wisconsin. And you can put in the amount, and you can give that way. So I know it's a little bit of a hassle uh, during this time to take a minute and, and do that, but continue to be faithful. Uh, you want God to be blessing you and protecting you during this time of challenge and stuff in your life, then you need to be careful to continue to honor and bless God. I know a lot of people think, you know, Lord, bless me financially, and then I'll be able to give, but it doesn't work that way. He said, give first, and then it will be given to you. So it's a statement of faith, even during these uncertain times, to be able to step out in faith. And again, there's thousands of you watching. Uh, we have people all over the world who watch. If you get blessing from this ministry, take a moment and give. You should give back to those who are ministering to you. Some people say, well, I watch you before I go to my own church. Well, that's good. Give to your own church. But if you're getting blessings from here, then send a few bucks this way too as well. It's really the biblical standard. We shouldn't just sit around and just take and not give back. So take a minute right now on your phones or on your computers or wherever you're at and take a minute to give this morning into the advancing of the kingdom of God. Um, we have uh, several people out in the parking lot gathering this morning which we think is cool. A lot of churches all over the country are, have actually organized to have, uh, we have a friend in uh, Minnesota, their parking lot is full and it's all organized and they're just all, just the parking lot is completely full of people sitting in their cars and stuff, um, which it looks cool. We didn't do anything like this. If we lived in California, I probably would. <laughs> it's cold and gloomy and miserable outside. And uh, I didn't want to make people sit out in their cars in the cold, but uh, a lot of people are doing this. Uh, we have seen uh, during this quarantine uh, some, uh, I believe, blatantly anti-Christian biases that have been popping up uh, in, from mayors and some of these little smaller Napoleonic leaders who think, you know, give them a little bit of power and they get a little psychotic with it and uh, forbidding people even to gather in church parking lots in their cars. Uh, and that, we understand the gathering for, for public health, but to forbid people to go in parking lots and sit where there's no connection 
is just an extreme move. And a lot of people are fighting against this. It's already been taken to courts. Judges are slapping these little Napoleonic psychos, uh, mayors and stuff in some of these areas, and telling them to stop. The uh, Attorney General of the United States yesterday announced that they need to stop. Uh, and, you know, we take freedom of religion very seriously in America. I know everyone needs to stay safe. We get that. The vast majority of churches in America are not gathering physically, putting people very close to each other, that there's no reason for this kind of nonsense. So we celebrate those who are out there in the parking lot and parking lots all across America. They just want to get out of the house and sit in their cars. Man, they're doing it. It Walmart. I was at Walmart yesterday. It looked like Christmas. I, the thing was jammed. And then to get in, they would separate you. You know, you stand in line and wait for a minute and then you could go in and you had to stand in line and separate. And but once you got in, it was a free-for-all. There's people all over the place brushing against each other walking by. So, you know, I don't know. I'm starting to get it up to here with this. If we can gather in Walmart, we should be able to gather in other places as well. I get it. Don't write me. I don't want to hear all your complaining about it. But at a minimum, there is absolutely nothing wrong with Christian people of faith gathering and sitting in cars in a parking lot. Good preaching, Pastor Mark. But uh, anyway, we shall overcome. All right. By the way, that song, We Shall Overcome, was uh, taken by the civil rights movement. That song wasn't a civil rights song originally. This was Christians singing these songs. We shall overcome. We'll be fine. This is nothing. Uh, churches have uh, withstood persecution and pressures for thousands of years, starting with the worst in the Roman Empire, where they would take Christians and throw them into the lions. Uh, then they don't do that to us today, thank God. And there's lots of places in the world today where Christians are routinely having to hide because of persecution. We're a long way from that, so they don't need to panic. But again, many people are saying, whoa, 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 you know, enough is enough. And uh, anyway, so hi to all y'all out there. I'd have y'all beat, but I can't hear you anyway. So anyway, Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I am convinced, however, that after all this, the church is going to come out stronger than ever. And uh, this is just a temporary passing thing. All right, going on to my message, very simple message this morning, a message that many of you could preach on your own. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've just finished Holy Week. Last week was Palm Sunday when we celebrated and remembered when Jesus had his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. And then that week, preaching in the temple and stuff like that. Thursday night, we remembered when he had his last supper. We'll be taking a communion together at the end of the service here um, in remembrance of that. And then he was betrayed Friday. We remembered Good Friday in our Good Friday services when uh, Jesus was uh, crucified and died on the cross. And now Sunday morning on the third day, by the way, I've had people, I always get this question. If you do the math, it doesn't seem to, wait, he's not in the grave three days. Uh, Friday, uh, then, so Saturday would be one, Sunday two, it would be Friday, Monday afternoon before it's three days. We have to understand, we think in terms of scientific days. They didn't do that in the Bible. When he died on Friday, that's considered day one. Whenever you read about days in the Bible, it's, it's not necessarily in 24-hour increments. They just didn't think in those terms. That was day one. He's in the grave on Saturday. That's day two. And Sunday morning when he was risen from the dead is on the third day. Day, not three 24-hour periods, but it's on the third 
day. So now it's Sunday morning, and uh, what happened is they had to quick take them down uh, from the cross because of the Jewish Sabbath. The Romans didn't care about this, but they didn't want to have riots with the, with the Jews. So typically when they would crucify people, they would leave them up there for days. Uh, uh, the thing with crucifixion, it's, it's a very slow process of dying. This is not a quick death. This is one miserable, horrible way to die. And they would intentionally have their feet, you know, so, so they could push up so they could breathe, but they would get so heavy after a while and they'd fall and then have to push up and stuff. It was agonizing. They weren't hitting any major arteries in their hands and feet when they did this. They weren't bleeding out. They just hung there in a horrible situation to die. Well, this is Friday when Jesus is crucified along with two other people next to him. And when it's starting to get towards sundown, which is considered the beginning of the Sabbath, they went and they broke the legs of people on crosses so that they couldn't push up anymore. And then they would suffocate rather quickly. So they come to the two thieves, they break their legs, they start hanging out. They came to break Jesus' legs, but realized to their surprise, he was already dead. And that's when they stuck a spear in the side to see, in fact, he was dead. And of course he was, blood and water ran out. And, and then they pulled him off and it fulfilled the prophecy that no, none of his bones would be broken and they were not. So anyway, they quickly took him down and then put him in the tomb. Typically, they would prepare the body for burial, but they just put him in there temporarily to come back because you're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. I don't think it was Jesus often taught. It wasn't as extreme as they took it, but they were very extreme about it, about every little thing. So they just quick got him in the tomb, didn't really clean him up much at all, and waited out through Saturday. And then first thing Sunday morning, they're coming, the ladies, to take care of the body for a proper burial. He was just parked in there temporarily. Uh, they were coming Sunday morning. So we pick it up here. After the Sabbath, this is in uh, Matthew, the 28th chapter, verse 1. After the Sabbath, the rest of the Saturday, everybody had to take off. As the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. They're already up at night going. Because in the Jewish tradition, the next day always begins at sunset. So uh, as soon as the sun goes down on Friday, that's Saturday to them. And as soon as the sun goes down on Saturday, that's Sunday to them. So it's still dark when they're coming because that's already the next day. And they're coming uh, to the tomb. Uh, and suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men, scared to death. But the angel said to the women that came, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. And then these four wonderful words, he is not here. For he has been raised, as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy, ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus meets them and says, greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So this is the Sunday morning. They're coming. Uh, it's uh, probably dark, maybe the crack of dawn or whatever. It's just starting to happen. And uh, all of a sudden, this angel appears. Jesus isn't in the grave. And initially, they were shocked and, uh, you know, what, what is going on? And then the Lord eventually appears to them. 
And I love the proclamation of the angel as they came. He is not here. That's the good news for us. Christianity is very different in so many ways than every other religion in the world. Every great religious teacher, whoever it might be, is in a tomb and people remember their tombs and they go to their tombs and they celebrate their tombs. Christianity has no tomb where we go. They have tombs where they think it might have happened, but there's nobody in it. There's not some place where you can go to see where Jesus of Nazareth is buried because he's not there. This is what sets Christian teaching apart from all other teachings in the world. This is what makes Jesus different than, or Christianity different than just a bunch of religious rules and philosophies. And people say, oh, Jesus was a great teacher. He was a, you know, great philosopher. No, 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 he was way more than, he was all that, but way more than that. He wasn't a typical philosopher. He wasn't your run-of-the-mill religious guy running around the planet for the last several thousand years. Jesus came, preached, and in three years, shook the world dramatically. And, and that's the other thing. A lot of these other religions, they're there for decades building their following and stuff like that. Jesus, it was almost nothing. Three years, and then boom, this explodes across the planet as the message of Christianity is preached. Why is this so powerful? Why is this so dramatic? I get a kick out of listening to secular historians try to explain the beginning of Christianity. And they say, well, it was a different way of thinking about God, and everyone accepted it very quickly. No, no, it was way more than that. This was something powerful. And when people heard this and experienced the saving knowledge of Christ and asked Christ into their lives, it was powerful. It is life, and to this day, it is powerful and life-changing. This spread throughout the world virtually overnight. It was extremely powerful brought down the Roman uh, uh, country or powers eventually uh, and spread throughout Europe and the world. This is not some philosophy that we think is cooler than another philosophy. This is life-changing because Jesus, three day, on that third day, rose again from the dead, something no one has ever done. This makes him not just a teacher, a philosopher, or anything else. It, in fact, proves this case that he was the son of the living God and raised from the dead, and then ascended into heaven. And as I was reading, thinking about this, this proclamation, he is not here, I thought of our churches this morning. <laughs> There's nobody here. And the truth is, Jesus is not here, which is a great reminder to all of us. As irritating as this quarantine is, and as frustrating as this time of separation is during all of this, uh, it's a good reminder, Jesus doesn't live in here. God doesn't live in a building. God doesn't live in a church. He is not here. He is risen. He lives today uh, in the hearts of men and women by faith. And the Spirit of God is all over the world, continuing to this day to transform people's lives and answer prayers and do miracles in people's lives. These aren't things that we cross our fingers and hope for. These are things that we experience constantly. Uh, because Jesus Christ is still alive. And I love this idea. If we had a big <clears throat> electronic billboard out there, which we don't, <laughs> which, number one, they're ridiculously expensive and the city wouldn't let us put it up. Anyway, but I would just put, good news, he's not here. <laughs> Nobody's here, but Jesus is not here. And even if he, we were all gathering, he'd only here, be here because we're here. It says wherever two or three are gathered, even if they're in their cars out in the parking lot. There he is in the midst of them. That's where Jesus is, where people are gathered together. And even though 
Our gatherings are very small, pretty much just family right now. We'll eventually be back together gathering and experiencing the wonderful presence of God in our midst. But even when we're back into this place, we need to remember he's not here. When we walk out, you don't walk out of the church. The church walks out of the building. The church is people. It's people and God living in people. So I just got a kick out of that reading. He's not here. Indeed, he is not. Nobody's here, but he's not here. All right. Then, of course, this starts to change the world. We read about this in Acts, the 10th chapter in the New Testament, the books that make up the New Testament, right after the Gospels, the four Gospels, four different accounts, different, different witnesses of the accounts of the life of Jesus, um, varying differences between them, even in the resurrection. If you read the different Gospels, you know, uh, other than John, I don't think any of them were eyewitnesses. John would be the most accurate telling because he literally was there and saw what happened. The other ones are a little bit different. Matthew's is a little bit different uh, <clears throat> because they're going off of what was told and stuff. Um, it, it's really fascinating how this is all done and how accurate and how much it lines up. There are doubters who say, well, because of those differences, uh, it's not true. No, that would be like, you know, if we didn't have videotape of, 9-11 and people were writing and someone said, you know, there were two planes that crashed in the building and one just says, well, there was one plane that crashed the building and, uh, and then another one writes the fact that they melted and fell down to the ground when the other one didn't actually mention that. Therefore, because there's different accounts and different angles, it never happened. Well, that's absurd. Of course it happened. There's just different viewpoints of this thing. Uh, people who experienced this and sharing what had happened, uh, even to this day, when you watch these documentaries, uh, it's interesting to hear different people's perspective of that event. They don't always exactly agree, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. All right, this happened and uh, very, very powerfully. Anyway, after the four Gospels, then it's called the Book of Acts. This is the first history of the beginning of Christianity. This is how all of this starts. And we're going to pick up there in Acts, the 10th chapter, verse 34. It says that Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. In other words, God doesn't really care who you are. He's not favoring one person more than another person. He says, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He's Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power how Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We are witnesses to all this that he did both in Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear. Not to all people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. You see this message constantly through the uh, beginning of the start of the church when they would preach. This is what they did to Jesus. They killed him, but this is what God did in raising him from the dead. Sometimes in the beginning when they were preaching against the religious leaders, they said, you guys crucified him, but God. In other words, they really tried to differentiate how men treated Jesus, but then how God treated Jesus by raising him from the dead and establishing all of this truth. And then anyway, he says, he commanded us, talking about Jesus, to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him. He's talking about the Old Testament, all these writings before he was born. 
that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So they start preaching it everywhere. And the whole message of Christianity is because one person told another person who told another person who told another person. And people would begin to experience the great power of the gospel because Jesus Christ is alive. When we pray to him, we're not praying to the dead. We're praying to the living. And he's alive and powerful. And this message has changed lives for the last 2,000 years and continues to do so, dramatically so, in so many people's lives. And what happened is eventually someone told somebody who hopped on a boat that came over here, started telling people and kept telling others until somebody told you and somebody told me. And, that, and we're continuing to tell others. That's what we're called to do because of what Jesus did, this good news. This is what we celebrate today, that he is not here. He's not in, not only in a tomb, he's not stuck in a church. He is alive today and people can encounter the living Christ even today. If you're listening to me and you've never experienced Jesus, I got good news for you. You can experience him today if you open to your, your heart to him by faith. You say, well, I don't understand everything. That's the beauty of it. Virtually every other religion in the world, you have to study the religion first. If you want to be a Muslim or you want to be a Buddhist, you got to study the religion first and go through all their classes and learn the disciplines and the prayers. And eventually you can become, you know, whatever it is to be part of their religion. And then hopefully you can exercise this and, and, and touch God someday. Christianity is completely different. You start out by God touching you. You immediately experience God. Most of us who come to faith do so in a place where we don't really understand much of anything. A lot of people who come to Jesus don't know anything. I remember when I first got saved, I didn't know anything. I didn't know the Bible. In fact, I remember the guy who was telling us about the Bible who introduced us to Jesus in the first, first place. He said all kinds of ridiculous, crazy things. It, was, it wasn't until after we became Christians we started reading the Bible for ourselves and started thinking, oh man, that ain't right what he said to you. He, because he didn't know anything. He's making up stuff out of the blue. But what he did was said, if you will open your heart and experience Christ, he will change your life. And he did. And it was life-changing. And we didn't know anything. You can experience God right now. You don't have to earn anything. You can't earn it. You don't have to learn a bunch of prayers ahead of time. You don't have to learn about the Bible. You, don't have to, you can start out immediately. God will touch your life and you can touch God, which is different than any other religious approach in the world. It is glorious. It is wonderful. It is empowering. And then from there, we learn more about it, but not in a, an attempt to touch God. We learn more about it because we've been touched by God and have touched God already in the first place. This is the message that they preach throughout the entire book of Acts and even to this very day. Why is Easter so important? Because if it weren't for this, none of this matters. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, because there are some people starting to doubt, did Jesus really raise from the dead? He says, if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile and you're still stuck in your sins. And without Christianity, he says, all of this is null and void. Might as well go eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we will die. The New Testament teaching is absolutely clear. It is the foundation of the resurrection that makes it. It's not just the great teachings of Jesus or philosophy or all these different things that people think about. It's the fact that he is the risen Christ, the son of the living God, who's alive even to this day because he was raised on that third day and still living right now in the hearts of men and women, and you can encounter him. This is what makes Christianity powerful. And Paul says, hey, if it weren't for this, throw this whole thing away. This is no small deal. This is the big Yo Mama deal. This is why Easter is generally our most attended service of the year 
Not today, although I did double my audience, I must say it is impressive, but uh, this is what we celebrate. Um, and it changes our life. In a Colossians, when Paul writes to the Colossian church, chapter three, verse one, he says, so if you've been risen with Christ, which is what happens when you come and connect with Christ by faith, he was raised, so we are raised to life. We're born again, new life comes into us. He says, then seek the things that are above where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So we transform. Life becomes different for us when you're walking in a state of faith because then all things are possible to him who believes. And even in the midst of, at times, darkness, even during difficult national or even world tragedies that are happening before us today, there's no reason to lose heart. I see a lot of people and you hear them on the news and woe is me and all the grief and stuff like that. But I'm telling you, to people of faith who know Christ, that's not, this is not our attitude. I mean, we're sucking it up along with everybody else, but there's still a joy in our hearts. We have life. We're celebrating. And we've set our minds not so much on the things of this world, but on the world to come because we've tasted of eternity, and there's a part of us that really is really looking forward to getting there someday. Hallelujah. This is the good news. Amen. Amen. He's not here. Nobody's here, but he's not here. He's not in the grave. He is risen. This is our celebration today, even in Wisconsin, where it's gloomy. <laughs> what is with all the clouds? <laughs> it's just, you know... <clears throat> Someday, I'm not sure when, but someday, maybe when I'm in my 70s, I'm taking off. I mean, I'm not going to leave the church, but March and April, I am going to become, what do they call these people? Snowbirds. Snowbirds. I am getting the heck out of Dodge. I'm telling I might fly back on Sunday to preach, but then I'm getting out of here. March, I like Wisconsin. Wisconsin's great in the summer, fall, winter, the first part of it is cute, but then March and April is brutal. Around here is nothing but dread and gloom and clouds and no life anywhere. Ah, that's my rant on Wisconsin this morning. But even in the midst of all this gloom and doom, there's still sunshine on the inside. Hallelujah. And uh, praise God for all of that. All right, we are going to celebrate communion together uh, right now. And uh, we're going to focus now on what happens when we take communion. All right. This is when we focus on what Jesus did for us. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed so we could have forgiveness of sins. And this is what he did on that Thursday night before his death, where he said, do this in remembrance of me. Now I want to read from uh, 1 Corinthians 11th chapter. Paul writes this. He says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is about remembering his death. He says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and the blood of the Lord. They took communion very seriously. You know, I know evangelicals, Protestants and Catholics that like to fight about exactly what happens here. And I think evangelicals tend to take it way too lightly. They consider this, even Paul here, you're answerable to the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. We do this and we do this seriously. And then he says this, examine yourselves and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Why? Because we're supposed to examine ourselves. Where are we at? This is a time of reflection. And say, well, you know, where am I at before God? 
And, you know, I don't know what your week's been like this week, but this is a time when we just pray. I pray a prayer of forgiveness for all of those who are listening and are a part of our congregation. It's a time to reset. Think back. Maybe you said things you shouldn't have said, done things you shouldn't have done, uh, skipped things that you should have done. Whatever. Here's a time just to reflect before we take communion and get things right with God in our own hearts. So I want you to bow in a word of prayer as I pray this prayer of forgiveness over all of us. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning and in obedience to the scriptures, we pause now to examine ourselves. If we've sinned against you in thought, word, or deed by what we've done or by what we've left undone, if we haven't loved you with our whole heart, maybe we haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves, for the sake of your beloved son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, have mercy on us. And we ask you to forgive us of all of our sins. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of your Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. That we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And while we're still praying, maybe you're one of these this morning, you've never truly taken that first step of faith in Jesus. All you have to do is open up your heart to him. Ask him to come into your life. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and make the living Christ real to you. Because if you'll do that right now, Jesus, you can start taking your very steps, first steps of faith as you ask Christ into your life.